Hello, hello everybody. I hope you all had a great 4th of July celebrating the independence of our country. You know, we have a wonderful country. It's one of the best countries in the whole world and and uh, I'm very thankful for it. I'm very thankful for it. So I hope you had a good time yesterday uh, on the 4th of July uh, celebrating our independence. So uh, we've been teaching on uh, the Beatitudes and uh, which are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus tells us about eight groups of people who are not only blessed, but they're supremely blessed. And that's what the Beatitudes mean, is uh, supreme blessedness. And these Beatitudes provide a basic, uh, provide the basics of Christianity, e even including a roadmap for salvation and the way a Christian should live. And like I said, they're called the Beatitudes because they have to do with extreme blessedness, which is what Beatitudes mean, and I want to be extremely blessed, don't you? So blessed means happy, joyous, well-off, a true state of well-being, possessing the favor of God, and being spiritually prosperous. So Jesus tells us, as a review, tells us about eight groups of people who are blessed, the poor in spirit those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those persecuted for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> and like I said, these attributes that Jesus talked about provide a roadmap for us for salvation and for our Christian walk. So um, we're on the fourth session today. So if you haven't heard the first three, I really encourage you to stop this one, go back and listen to the first three, because uh, each one is, is uh, the previous session is a building block for the next se session. So you really need to hear the first, the second, and third one to really um, get the full, full amount out of this. So um, this one is on Matthew 7. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 7. Matthew 5, verse 7 in the NIV. And it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So the blessing for being merciful is that we are shown mercy by God. The Greek word for mercy doesn't really have a great English translation uh, to define it. The closest meaning that we have is empathy or sympathy. Uh, to understand what another person is feeling. And it means more than just feeling what the other person is feeling or be able to sense what the other person is feeling. <clears throat> it means to act on that, <coughs> excuse me, act on that feeling. Mercy is God's reaction to our sin and should be our reaction to other people's sin. So that's a really good statement. Mercy is God's reaction to our sin and should be our reaction to other people's sin. We should be merciful. Um, to the Greeks and the Romans and to many, many Jews, mercy was a sign of weakness. And so Jesus was talking about something that was really foreign to them that they didn't understand and they didn't agree with it. And it was totally opposite their culture. One Roman philosopher said, mercy is a disease of the soul. So you can tell by that statement how people felt about merciful people. But what that Roman philosopher said is not the teaching of Jesus, not the view of Jesus, and not what God is all about. So it should be um, not what we're all about, you know, that, that thinking that mercy is a disease of the, of the soul. 
See, Jesus, through all the Sermon on the Mount and through his teachings, called us to be different. Different, different, different. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was telling his disciples to be different. In other words, to be merciful, which is not what they were. Um, people will make a difference in the world. People who make a difference in their world have to be different. We have to have unique quali qualities of character that distinguish us from the rest of the world. And these qualities, these wonderful qualities, should naturally spring up from the life of Christ within us. In Matthew 7, verse 1, it says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. So in other words, if we want mercy, we're going to have to show mercy. And I know some people use this scripture and say, we should never judge anything. We should never judge anyone. But um, that's not completely what the scripture is saying. And I have a really good teaching <clears throat> that I did several months ago about judge or judge not. But Jesus tells us, scripture tells us a lot of things and a lot of people we are supposed to judge. But this scripture is talking about being judgmental and critical and looking down on people like the religious people of the day did, the Pharisees. So Jesus doesn't want us to act like that. In Micah, in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So God requires us to be merciful. The mercy we show others is seldom returned by humans, and we just have to remember that. We think that, oh, if I'm nice to this person, they'll be nice back to me, or if I'm merciful to them, they'll be merciful back to me. But that seldom ever happens. But God promises that he will show us mercy because of it, and that's the most important thing, isn't it? Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 52. Luke 9, 52. It says, And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. And this is talking about Jesus and his disciples. Verse 53. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, uh, and see the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people, the Jews didn't like the Samaritan people. So verse 54. When the disciples uh, James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? So um, James and John were not being merciful. They were getting ready to call down fire and destroy people. And I've, I've seen Christians actually pray that people would be destroyed, um, which is not the heart of Jesus. In verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then um, because... Jesus came for those people. He was going to live and die for those people. He didn't believe in destroying people. In Luke 23, verse 33, it says, And when they were uh, come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. This is They crucified Jesus. And the malefactors, one on the right and one on the left. In other words, there is a criminal on the right and a criminal on the left. Then Jesus uh, said, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So Jesus was asking the Father to forgive the people that were cru crucify him, crucifying him, and 
That's the biggest forgiveness of all, and that is the kind of forgiveness that Jesus is asking us to walk in, to be merciful to people, to be kind to people, to understand uh, their fallen state, understand that we have all been sinners and we have all benefited from the mercy and grace of God. You know, Jesus could have called uh, called down fire on the people crucifying him. He could have called them all kinds of names and demeaned them. And, uh, you know, he's the son of God. He could have done all kinds of terrible things to those people, but he was merciful. So, um, you know, when when we call people names or make fun of their physical traits or or their race or their education or their uh, economic class, um, it, it could be part of a good part of politics or YouTube or on commentators, you know, that, that you know, can stir up a lot of views and a lot of popularity, but it's not fitting for a Christian to be involved in these kind of things or cheering them on. If one of these people tout that they're Christians that is calling people names or demeaning people or making fun of their looks or making fun of their, you know, physical features or their education or, you know, just tearing people down and calling them names, um, you can count that they're either not a Christian or they're just uh, a Christian in name only. They're not walking according to the word of God. And if, you know, people in politics are doing this um, and they say they're Christians, but they're lying and calling people names and, and making fun of people and tearing people down, you can you can count that they're lying to you to get a vote um, and they're walking in sin. But don't be don't you become a partaker in that. And you know it can uh it can be a very, very, very strong and powerful force um to do that. Um politically, you know, to tear other people down. But as Christians we're we're to be different. Um, on social media and things like that, let your trademark be mercy, be merciful and imitate God. In uh, Ephesians 5 verse 1, in the New Living Translation, it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. That was my ace maker. <laughs> imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So we're to imitate God. We're to walk in love. In our love walk is supposed to be so wonderful and so awesome that, that a fragrance rises up from us unto God and he can, he can smell how much love we have and that, and that uh, we're a pleasing aroma to God. In John 13, verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that uh, you also love one another. So we're supposed to love other people the way that Jesus loved us. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for another. So just uh, think about yourself. We, I have to do this. We all have to do this. Think about whether we're walking in love, whether our words are full of love and graciousness and mercy. We have to remember, we have to remind ourselves, especially if you listen to the media or the news, we have to remember that God loves and is merciful to the whole, whole world. He's merciful to Americans, Canadians, South Americans, 
people in Europe, people in Russia, people in China, people in Africa and Australia and all of the islands and, and Japan and Asia. God is merciful to every nationality, to every race, to every socioeconomic group. He is merciful to all. In the time that Jesus was on the earth, people were astonished that Jesus loved all and was merciful to all, including uh, the ones that the religious people of the day absolutely detested and abhorred. Now, isn't that sad that religious people would detest people and think less of people? Um, examples of this are Jesus loved the Romans who were idol worshipers and who were controlling their lives and oppressing them. Jesus loved the Samaritans who were considered half-breeds and dogs at that time. Jesus, um, the, Jesus loved the Jews who did not follow all the rules and the regulations perfectly and rituals perfectly. Jesus loved tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, outcasts, and every single kind of sinner, including you and I. Now, we should do exactly the same. We should love and have mercy on people who some religious, Christian religious people abhor. Um, and I say that in the political climate we're in, it's very divisive. And Christians have been guilty of stirring up, a lot, or people who call themselves Christians, have been guilty of stirring up so much uh, strife and hate and division. And Christians shouldn't do that. So... People that Christian religious people look down on now are leftists, liberals, Muslims, immigrants, rhinos, and anyone who disagrees with them, etc., so on and so forth. So whenever you have a whole group of people that that you know are looked down on, are hated, are talked bad about, are they have names, labels on them, and stuff, you can be sure that. Um, those are all people that Jesus loves and that we should love them too and be merciful to them and, and be thinking about how we can extend mercy and love and the message of salvation to them. And we, you know, as Christians, we have to remember that we as Christians have to be aware of peer pressure, groupthink, the media, and other things the devil can pull, the, the devil can use to pull us away from the mandate Jesus gave us to love and be merciful. If we do not love the worst of sinners, we can never fulfill the Great Commission. And a couple examples of that, of this peer pressure that I'm talking about, was, you know, in World War II in Germany, um, Hitler greatly used the Christian population um, because they were already full of anti-Semitism. Uh, they weren't merciful toward the, for, to many of these same group, same groups. Uh, they didn't want immigrants. They didn't want uh, uh, people of other races. They didn't want Jews. They didn't want Catholics. They didn't want a whole list of people. And these things just keep on going down through, through a millennia of time that there's certain people that other people don't like. And that's not the calling of Jesus Christ at all. If we don't love the worst of sinners, we can never fill the great commission. Jesus called us to love and be merciful. Another example of this is um, um, a great deal of the Protestant church going astray was in the um, 
early 20th century, more specifically in the 1920s. The Ku Klux Klan, I've, I've researched this because I just became aware of it lately, so I did a lot of research on it. The Ku Klux Klan very effectively used the white Protestant churches in the nation to recruit members and advocate their hate of immigrants, Negroes, Catholics, Eastern Europeans, Jews, bootleggers, adulterers, and other groups of people. And I didn't know all that, you know, so of course I did research on it because I like history and I like learning about history and how it actually repeats itself. Um, and, and there were great big chapters in Ohio and Indiana and, and it was just amazing all the things that they did. Um, these people that preached all this, this hate, they touted that they were better Christians than everyone else, but they were, a lot of them, even though they preached against bootlegging, they were alcoholics, they were violent even in their own homes. And their goal was to eliminate these groups that I talked about totally from the United States. They believed in eugenics, um, which is eliminating uh, through sterilization or murder uh, people like I was talking about, Negroes, Catholics, Eastern Europeans, Jews, da-da-da-da-da, everything I talked about. Did you know that churches paid guest ministers to come in and uh, talk about the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s and filled, filled the congregations with poison and hate, and they recruited members very effectively and raised tons of money in the white Protestant churches in the 1920s. And you might think I'm lying. <laughs> I encourage you to go do some research. It's really, really jaw-dropping and, and, and really heartbreaking. Um, when I was doing the research, it just, it was hard to even do because I was so heartbroken about it. At this point, you know, in the 1920s, it's estimated that 30% of Christian white males belonged to the Klan, and many women too. They also had a group for teens, for children, all under the banner of Christianity. So what I was talking about is this, this kind of group think, you know, that turns on a, on a certain group of people or, or thinks that you're better than other people, and then so you turn on other people like like the people I talked about, Jews or immigrants or Catholics or you know, all kinds of different people, you know, you just think, oh, well, they're all bad. Well, that's not mercy, and that's not the law of love, and that's not what God wants. Um, these people that I was talking about in the 1920s, they were religious people that really had no connection to the God of mercy. As Christians, we have to be so careful not to be stirred up by political rhetoric, by fear, by hate, by doom and gloom, because it can take you away from the law of love. This type of rhetoric can cause people to gain great power and great wealth in this world, but also lose their souls. God's interests become irrelevant and not even considered. Let's look at Colossians 3, verse 12. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people uh, he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let peace and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, 
For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. And then Romans 2, verse 4, in the NIV, it says, God's kindness leads you toward repentance. God's kindness leads you toward repentance. And so I'll add to that, and our kindness can lead other people to repentance. And that's what the call of God on our life is. The number one call of God is to, to walk in love, to bring others to the Lord. You think about the woman in the Bible that was taken in adultery. You know, the religious people looked down on her. They were getting ready to stone her. They wanted to punish her for how bad she was. You know, how dare she? How You know, I hope she gets what she deserves. But Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Jesus showed mercy and not judgment. But Jesus did not accommodate her sin. He gave her strict instructions not to sin anymore. Her, sin, her sins were totally and completely abhorrent to Jesus, but he dealt with her with an enormous amount of mercy and compassion. God demands mercy. He demands that we, God's mercy demands that we care enough to bring others to the God of mercy. So did you learn anything about mercy and being merciful to the Lord? If, if we show mercy to others, God will show mercy to us. So we can see from the Sermon on the Mount so far that Jesus laid out a template or a plan for salvation in the way that we should live. So what we've covered so far is blessed are the poor in spirit, which means that we, we recognize we are lost and without a savior. We see our deep spiritual need and to those people, Jesus said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, blessed are those who mourn, and as we recognize our sin, we are sorrowful and repentant. And Jesus said, we will be comforted. And then he said, blessed are the meek. When we are humble and come to God for help, we will inherit the earth. And then the next one was, uh, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we're hungry and we're passionate about becoming right before God, the Bible says, Jesus said, then we will be filled and then today we talked about the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. We have received God's mercy and forgiveness, and we extend it to others. We're merciful to others. And the Bible says, and then we will be shown mercy. So I hope this has helped you. Hope this has encouraged you to be merciful to people, merciful to people that, that you, you know, disagree with, merciful to pe people who have hurt you, merciful to people. Uh, people who you think are terrible sinners or, or, you know, whatever kind of person irritates you to be merciful to them. And the Bible says Jesus promises to you that you will be shown mercy. And that's an awesome and wonderful thing. And that's what we need. So I encourage you to uh, study this and to meditate on it and, and try to uh, remind yourself of it and to walk in mercy to people. Well, I hope you enjoyed this today, and tune in on Sunday. Pastor Terry and I have something special coming up, so we'll talk to you later. God bless you. Bye-bye.